Hello everyone, welcome to the Melting Pot podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is as a result of my hunger for optimizing business performance, scaling up organizations, corporate culture, customer addiction, building high-performing teams, along with a few other obsessions along the way. I've spent the last several years working for and with some of the most successful top-performing companies in the world. And this podcast is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a high-quality business and live a more fulfilling life. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find more information on today's episode and other topics at dominicmonkhouse.com. Hello, today I'm talking to Andrew Doby, the founder and CEO at Made Brave. Two things that I think uh, you'll enjoy about the conversation I have with Andrew. One is that they created a social media following just by chronicling their scale-up journey. And in 2015, they even launched a brand of clothing so that the people who followed their business could buy their branded clothing. And the other thing we talk about is how, from Andrew's perspective, that the company brand and the employer brand and attracting great people and doing great work for clients are not separate things. They are two things and they're intrinsically linked. And we talk about how his job has changed as the agency's gone from the first person he hired where they made a deal that if it didn't work in three months, they could both go back to being contractors to now with one acquisition behind him and four open headcount and this year doing four million. So great high energy conversation with Andrew. Some great tips in there as well about how to use awards tangentially to scale your business or win new clients. I had a great time talking to him. I hope you enjoy it as well. Hi, my name is Andrew Doby. I'm the founder of Made Brave, a creative brand agency based out of Glasgow. Scotland. I also run a content production agency called Campfire, where we have offices in Edinburgh and London. And Andrew, uh, you've got a fantastic, fantastic, ridiculous, uh, brave story about how you, how and why you started this business. What's what's the your founding myth around this business? Sure, sure. So um, my background is I was a designer and a photographer. I worked in a very small agency. Once I left college, etc., I worked in a small agency for a few years, um, seven or eight years actually. But it was no more than sort of six, seven, eight people at any one time. And um, when my son appeared on the scene, so when he was two weeks old, I thought, what a bloody great time to leave your job and start a business. So he was two weeks old. I had little more than a thousand pounds in my bank, and um, I left literally to be a freelance designer, which I thought at the time, um, but very quickly. It turned into a business, and suppose so. We've made brave. Um, within within a year, I had six full time employees in our team, and um, within two years, we had sixteen. And then it's just been a sort of continual growth since then. So, small baby, why did you decide that was the moment that you needed to be a freelancer? Well, I suppose for me, first of all, it was money driven. So the business I was in was a smaller business, and once children appear on the scene, you start to realise that you know. I realised my wife was not going to be working, you know, and uh, nappies and childcare and all this stuff's quite expensive. So I thought if I left my job at that point, I thought I could make maybe a couple of hundred quid a day as a freelancer. So that was really the idea. And so I came out and um, I was a designer and a photographer. So I was, I started doing quite a few different things. So I thought, 
I'm going to be around babies, so I kind of set up a baby photography business at the same time. <laughs> and then I was doing design for people, and then I think I booked about seven weddings, so I started doing wedding photography. And so I was kind of juggling all three of these things in that first year, just trying to see which one rose to the top. So very quickly I realized that baby photography um, was quite stressful because you can only do like maybe one or two babies a day and the babies don't, they seem to have their own schedule. They don't like to work around other people's. So I kind of, the baby photography, I kind of put to one side. Weddings was doing pretty well, but the design, the design side, I started to get really busy quite quickly. So I thought, turn that off as well and kind of focused on the design stuff. And then how did you go from being freelance design to where you are now, which is CEO and founder of, of two agencies. Like, you know, you, you just started to hire people because you ended up with more work than you could handle or? As I said, got really busy quite quickly. I realized I quite quickly learned in the, the previous agency I'd worked with, I hadn't really been exposed to the business side as such. I mean, I was pitching to clients. I was managing, or, you know, managing a small team, um, working with them. I'd never sort of done the business side. And so when I came out, you very quickly have to learn, right? You have to you either sink or swim. So I started concentrating on the business side and realized I was actually quite good at that and enjoyed it. And so a few months in and, you know, I'd been up all night with baby and then back working all day, every hour in the day. And I realized there was, you know, there was too much for me to do. So I was sharing an office with a few other freelancers at the time. And um, there was a, another guy who was a much better designer than me who wasn't really enjoying the business side. He was kind of, he wanted to go and get another job. And I said, why don't you work for me? And he was kind of, he said, um, no, Andrew, you, you know, you know, you're starting out and I've, you know, I've got kids, I need at least 30 grand. And I was like, shit, I don't have 30 grand. But um, <laughs> I realized quickly, quickly that you don't need 30 grand to employ someone on 30 grand. You know, you needed, you know, a 30 grand salary is about two and a half grand a month. So I thought, well, I just need two and a half grand because I just need to get to the end of this month and had more than, you know, more than that. I think I'd saved about 10 grand at this point in time. We made this sort of agreement. Well, if I can't make it by, you know, month three, there's a probationary period. So, you know, you could go off and look for that other job and if not, work here. So by the first month, made that money. The second month was good. By month three, we did it again, next person and next person and... Um, I just kind of followed that same sort of mentality um, and yeah, by the end of the year we had six people in the team uh, and we sort of run out of space so we had to kind of move studio again at that point. So there you go, you've, you've got six people and you're 12 months in. At what point did you think we now have to have a plan? A plan? What's that? Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no, we started, I suppose, yeah, by the, the time we went into that second year, we started, I think we were growing sort of one person a month, because um, I think by the end of the year we had 16 or 17, 18 people in the team. So I suppose you're trying to keep track of that growth as it happens, and, you know, you hear the stories of people growing too quickly and such like. So I don't think you always need to write a plan down, but I think, you know, there's always a kind of plan forming, and very quickly, I think, once we sort of went into that second year, press started to pick up on our story. We, get, we got quite a lot of coverage. We were documenting everything we were doing on social media. And so very quickly, we grew one of the biggest followings of any agency in Scotland, even all the ones that have been around for a long, long time, because we'd sort of documented that kind of story. And if you think this was back 2011, 2012, so social media wasn't quite what it is now. And people didn't quite understand that 
if you share stories and sort of build a narrative on social media, it's actually a really powerful thing. And I didn't actually realize it. We were just actually doing it. We just sort of fallen upon it. And, you know, we were posting, we just won this, we just won this client, we've got this, and we're growing again and we're changing. And I suppose it gave something for everyone to follow. So we grew this huge following. And at that point, I realized, you know, we had changed from, I changed from being a freelance designer to suddenly being an agency, to suddenly having to build websites, to suddenly, you know, producing campaigns, filming content, all sorts of stuff. So I separated the service offering from the brand and I really focused on growing a brand. A lot of agencies kind of just, they forget about their own brand. You know, they, they kind of take the idea of oh, too busy on the client work. I started to see that the world was changing, that brand was becoming a real focus for a lot of businesses and you know, a real thing that could separate you. So I thought, let's concentrate on our brand as well as doing good work. We started focusing a lot of effort, putting a lot of the profits back into creating our own brand and culture and a physical space that represented that. And yeah, so um, that, I suppose that, that gave us a real differential and started to build a huge following for us. When you did that brand work, what you had to define who your customer was and who you were going to go after so that your brand resonated with them. And who, who's, your, who's your sweet spot? Who are, you, who are you trying to do great work for? I suppose it was kind of almost the other way around. We tried to figure out who we were. <laughs> um, we tried to figure out who we were and then amplify that so that we'd attract people that thought us. Okay. You know, rather trying to act like someone that we are not. You know, you can, I think very clearly you can see through that. So I think where great branding comes from is if, the, you, know, if you can figure out truly, authentically what you are and, you know, what your values are and why you've attracted the people as well as doing some, you know, having some sort of great proposition. And, if, you know, if you, if you can bring that to life, then you'll attract people who get you and connect with you and, and they're going to be the right customers. But I mean, very much so now the business has grown and evolved. We deal with sort of larger businesses now, big marketing teams, kind of clients. I'm trying to think of some of the stuff we're working on just now. Um, we've got a lot of drinks brands. So we just started started working with Tenant Slager, who's one of the sort of biggest drinks brands in Scotland, biggest beer brands. We work with most of the whiskies in Scotland now, but we've also, you know, we also fly around the world. We've just finished filming a global brand film for Hard Rock Hotels. And then probably our biggest client in terms of size and is Medtronic, who are a large healthcare device company um, in Switzerland. So, you know, it's a real, a real varied mix, but tends to be larger teams with bigger marketing budgets now. So. And so when you did that work to decide who you were, where, where did you settle? Who are you? What are you about? What is it that you allows you to attract these clients to you? If you haven't followed us or if you're listening, you know, go and check out our Facebook and our Instagram. It gives you a real good representation of who Made Brave are. I mean, we're, as an agency, you know, I suppose I, I tried to create what I'd always seeked for um, in a job when I was younger. So, like, our offices are really vibrant, full of life and full of creativity. And, yeah, we spent a lot of time developing our values. Um, I'm a big believer in kind of, purpose-driven and values-driven businesses. One of my favorite books is, um, or TED Talks is Simon Sinek, and um, starts with why. I think he's done a really nice job of sort of codifying and trying to figure out how to create successful brands and successful businesses. You know, it kind of it all starts with figuring out, you know, your purpose. And, you know, we say here, made brave, our purpose is to inspire creativity in everyone. So I, I tell my guys, don't go and sell on social media. When you go to meetings, 
and, and if you do your job right, generally when you inspire people, they, you know, they go, that, that's amazing, uh, that sounds really hard, could you now do it for us? So actually, you know, it, it, <laughs> and then, you know, I suppose running a business as well, the bigger and bigger your team gets, you know, having clear values um, really helps sort of pull and hold the team together. Um, and it helps attract the right people to your business as well. So, you know, so we did a lot of work on that, but what we did was we let it organically go so we let, we let the culture happen for a little while and we saw it was working. So we didn't worry too much about putting it down on paper at the beginning. We just thought, let's roll with it while it's working. And then at one point we stopped and we said, let's look back and try and figure out what's making this, um, this, this work and what's making it amazing. And we got everyone to kind of input into why, you know, why, why they chose Made Brave, why they still work at Made Brave, what makes a Made Braver. And then, you know, I suppose we took that kind of, information and along with some of the stuff, some of the things in my head and tried to sort of codify out what our values were and what was making the culture special. It's fascinating that you've taken that view of brand and not only does your brand attract great customers, but you use your brand to attract great talent. I think where so often companies, the marketing department goes off and does some sort of marketing brand work and then you've got HR trying to do some culture stuff. And if the two don't come together, there's a gap that people can see. Yeah, it's all, it's all intertwined, you know. Um, you've got to be, you know, like I say, like we're a service-based business. So the work that we do relies on having the best talent in the room. So if we have a great employer brand and we actually look after our team and our um, employees, I mean, that then attracts the best talent. So then in turn, you're going to guarantee that you're going to do the best work for clients. So... It's a self-fulfilling sort of machine that you, you need to do each, each part of it because you can't just market to customers. And if you've got an unhappy team, then they're not going to service them correctly. So it's, I'm a big believer in look after the brand and the core that's here. And then they, if you look after them and look after and make sure that they're in a safe, happy environment, they're going to look after the customers. So you don't really need to market to the customers because they get good work and that is its, it's own work. In those early days, you were growing. You were growing one person a month. Where are you now? So we are 33, 34 people in Made Brave, and we have just uh, ten people in Campfire over in Edinburgh and London. And so, in in Made Brave, then you, your growth rate has stopped, or you or you now see growth coming from doing different work for different clients, or. <laughs> this seems to be our crazy year. I think we 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 grew really quickly. Um, like I think if I sort of rough numbers, you know, the first year we did about 200,000, we then to about 400, 600, we then went to about a million, and then we were stuck in about roughly about a million turnover for about three years. It was often a, a really hard place to get to lift off of as an agency. Um, you know, I think one year we did like 960, then we did 1.1, then 1.2 or thereabouts, but roughly about a million each, each of those three years. And a lot of agencies can't break that. Luckily last year, we merged with Campfire, so we brought Campfire in and created a group, and we had a phenomenal year, and so we've, we've grown, so this year we just finished on 2.7 million, so we, we took a huge step off of the 1 million plate that we couldn't move and right up to 2.7, and this year we've just won a whole load of accounts. It's actually, you know, something brilliant has happened. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what it is, um, <laughs> because we just, I think because we did this kind of the merge with Campfire, so they have content production and we have brand on the other side. 
there's kind of like no hole in our pitch now because you know we often create brands and when you create a brand you know it then turns into you need to build a website or a campaign and such like where you need to manage social media now to have the best of these things you need to create content so now that we've got our own content production agency it's like the kind of the sale works back and forth and yeah. the client it makes it much much easier because they don't need to go to multiple agencies, although they still get the feeling of multiple agencies because we have two very separate cultures with the two companies. But the advantage is, I suppose, that you know, if a brief changes or the market changes or anything changes, we're in control of both pieces, where often if you are outsourcing that production, you've got another layer of margin, you've got another layer of bureaucracy and such like. So yeah, so very much this year, I mean, we, I think we've got four other jobs out at the moment um, and I'm kind of a wee bit twitchy thinking actually, I think we might need more people. So, you know, we, I think we think possibly this year we'll do about 4 million in terms of turnover. So like in terms of growth from those being stuck on that million pounds mark, I think we've, we've managed to now move off of there and I'm, I'm quite excited for this year to see where, we, where we're headed. And, and also because you, I suppose you, I talk to people and some people still feel as though they're stuck in Brexit no man's land. If you're now doing, you've got global clients or you're, I suppose you're working with, you're working with clients in Scotland who are exporting globally, the local economy is less impacted for you or? I will tell you the trick is just don't watch the news and don't listen to <laughs> anything about Brexit. Just pretend that it doesn't exist and just carry on moving forward. Like I'm not really into politics and I don't. Um, I think businesses have a great power to change the world. And if we just kind of, you know, all this bickering that goes on around politics, I'm a big believer, just keep moving forward. And so I don't, I don't even watch it. I don't listen. My operations director, he's, he's dead into it, but I'm like, Oh, I don't want to hear the negativity. So I'm a real positive um, mindset and I feel that anything that kind of drags your energy down and pulls you down, kind of cut it out of your life. So for me, it, that Brexit chat and everything that's happening there is um, negative energy to me. So I just, I just, I don't listen to it. I just carry on as if it doesn't exist. And I know that's quite naive, right? But it seems to be working. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. It's a last recession. I stopped watching the news and I've never gone back to watching the news. Exactly. There's a lot to be said. You know, if you, if you fill your brain with positive stuff, you know, you tend to find positive stuff happens. You know, I spend my time, but if people are maybe listening to the news or I listen to podcasts and, and audiobooks and try and keep my mind positive. Because it's, when you're running a business, bad things happen all the time. So you've got to kind of counterbalance that with positive. You know, so if you go off, if there's bad stuff happening in work and you've, maybe someone's left or you've lost an account or something stressful's happened, there's a cash flow issue. If you add more negativity into that, that's not good for your mental health. You better to add top it up with positivity. <laughs> you mentioned that Campfire and Make Brave have got different cultures. How, how does that how does that show? What what does that look like? So um, Campfire is a friend of mine, Lewis. While I'd been growing Made Brave, he had been growing Campfire, and uh, he's also got a great startup story. He kind of started his business when he was like seventeen. He's like. He's like Benjamin Button, I call Lewis. He's, uh, he's going from old to young. He's like the oldest young mind you've ever heard uh, met. Um, he'd been growing Campfire over in Edinburgh, and they focused purely on content. And they developed a very, you know, their own unique culture. So when we, when we did the deal, um, I didn't want to change Campfire because, you know, I think if you, you know, if, you, if another business is coming in, 
what Lewis have created was something really special and you know you can't just force a culture on someone so we, we've made a you know a real decision to keep Campfire as its own brand and culture and business and made Brave as its own but they work very closely together now there's obviously, obviously some synergies that me and Lewis had to have kind of similar values um, for it to work so you know and, and I think we do we've you know we've found that over working over the last year but yeah I think Keeping, keeping what's special there and keeping what's special here kind of seems to work quite well for us. And are there any things that, that haven't worked so well that you would have tackled differently knowing what you know now? Yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot. We, we both, I think we've all learned a lot during it. Um, I'm never a big one to say I would go back and do a lot of things differently. I think I've enjoyed the experience because it's, it's been a whole new experience and I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still learning, you know, what's working and what's not. No, I think I think you know maybe if you ask me in a couple of years' time, I'll have a better answer for that. But at the moment, we're still in that phase of figuring it out and you know learning how to do cross company charges and all these kind of things. But um, it's quite good because it's going kind to of, it's a new level of learning. Um, it's forced me into um, employing a financial controller. <laughs> so we now have a financial controller, which um, we didn't have before, but to help with all that kind of cross company charges and such like. And, um, but no, no, I think. I'm still on the path of learning, so I don't, I don't have anything I'd like to change as such. And so if somebody else is listening to this and they're going through that journey, one million to four million, is there something, as you sit here at four million, you look back and you go, ah, if we'd only done that quicker or if we'd only done that slightly differently? Not from a sense of regret, but just, a, you know, have our time again, we could have done it quicker or more smoothly. No, I think that was just the natural time that it has it's taken to do. Um, there's quite a lot to do when you're when you're growing a business, and um, I think if, if I can give a piece of advice to someone, if it's a creative business specifically, where I've noticed some creative businesses that, that fail to grow or or scale, um, and and obviously scaling and growing is not for everyone. So, but if if someone was interested in growing an agency, you know, as a designer and a photographer, I'm obviously a creative person, but. In about the second year, I decided to completely come off the tools, being, I suppose, a creative and doing the doing, doing the jobs. And, and that allows you to actually focus on growing a business. Now, that's not for everyone because some people do just, that's their, their thing. I almost felt like that piece of my life I had done. So I was now going to get new pleasure in learning how to grow a business and build it. And someone quite early told me that really stuck with me is that if you're running a business, your desk should be empty. There's nothing on your desk. Now, that sounds crazy, I know, but it kind of works if you start thinking about it. And eventually, you know, if, you, if you're running a business, if something lands on your desk and, or your inbox, there should be someone else around you that's better at doing that task than you. So now, if it's finance-related, I don't have to think about it because I've got financial controller. If it's operations, I've got an operations person. If it's commercial and new business, I've got a commercial director. If it's client services, I've got, you know, so slowly but surely, you know, in the beginning, you need to do a little bit of everything and you do need to multitask, but slowly but surely, you need to take away, right, what am I doing that's not making me happy? And then when the time is right, employ a person for that until there's nothing left for you to do. And every time as you grow and scale, there's always something new that lands on your desk that you didn't realize would be there now, you know, and then you have to work to get that into a new and then eventually, if you do have nothing there, and you have all these people, well, you've actually got a business. You don't own a job. Because if you're doing it all, you own a job. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite keen on 
eventually slowing down a bit. So um, you know, I'm keen on having a business that works without me doing everything. And, and I think when you when you you know, I feel we're at quite a good stage for that at the moment. But like at the moment, we we're running out of space in this new office, right? So I now need to now find a new premises. So I'm back on the stuff on my desk again, you know. But you know, maybe once you get much much bigger, you know, like that thing will, will change as well. But yeah, I think. Another key thing I would say to anyone is to grow your business, get a personal assistant as soon as possible. A good one, you know, get someone that can, you know, like when I'm doing this podcast just now, there's emails dropping into my inbox and someone replying, you know, Geraldine, my PA is replying as me. She's replying and talking as if Andrew's, so you get a duplicate of yourself. And also if there's stuff that, you know, she can't answer, she's organizing it and categorizing it. So when I come out of here, I can look at my inbox and I can say, well, that's, really needs an answer quickly or I can just look at that for information and such like. So a lot of people wait a long, long time to get an assistant and I think it's a, it's a clever thing to get early because um, you get double the double your time once once they're up to speed. I think you're right. The I, Just going back to the CEO thing and clearing your desk, I often see as businesses get maybe even a little bit bigger, maybe on that sort of towards 10 million, the CEO had had a thing that they used to be amazing at whether it's sales or marketing, and somehow they, they want to still own that. And then that, that starts to slow the company down because actually they haven't got time to do it full-time because they've got a full-time job running the business. But then your other piece of advice about having an assistant is, uh, is spot on. I spent, I remember turning up in a job and I had a secretary and I got, I got rid of her because she was terrible. And then I, I didn't have an assistant for several jobs after that and then got a PA and it's like, Oh, as you say, it's like cloning yourself. And so many people I meet feel, I don't know, embarrassed or that they should be able to manage it all. I don't know, there's just something holding them back, stopping stopping them getting help. Yeah, I mean, like that, we know, I mean, you know, I'm flying all over the, the place, you know, different jobs and seeing clients and such like, you know, and um, if I had to sit and do all that travel planning, I would literally spend half my week planning flights and hotels and all that kind of stuff and literally i just got a pack that's handed to me it tells me andrew wake up at nine o'clock you know <laughs> half past nine you're on a taxi the taxi will get you you know literally so i don't have to think about that stuff so i actually can use whatever brain cells i've got left on that makes more sense you know yeah and, and you know it's very important when you start to build a team a team needs a leader needs someone to you know to be thinking about the future and to be pointing them in that direction so um, you need headspace for that stuff to try and figure it out. And if you're constantly down in the dark, very, very difficult to, you know, to do both things at the same time. So, you've won some awards along the way. How important do you see winning those awards for clients and/or or the team? Well, I'll give you a wee secret, right? So usually, what people do in creative businesses is they go after all the creative awards. So now, if you if you go after all the creative awards, when you go to the award ceremonies, it's full of other creative people. Now, other creative people are generally not your clients; they're generally uh, peers. Um, so, in the first few years of Made Brave, we were growing really quickly as a business, and the business was scaling quick. You know, so we had a great story. So I thought, let's not go for any of the creative awards. Let's leave all the creative people over there, and let's go for all the business awards. And who are the business awards? customers and who were we at the business awards we were the creative ones so that was my strategy first of all was thinking about what is my award strategy and it was it was 
going there so that I could find customers. <laughs> and then, um, you know, once I had customers, then we do all the great creative and then we go for the creative awards. So, so I always encourage people to think about their own business and think, you know, what award strategy can you have that's not the obvious one? Um, you know, where are your customers at, not where are your peers at? But there's, there's obviously a place for both because, you know, um, awards can be great for culture and can be great for motivation for your team. It helps, you know, people with their, their careers. But you just, I suppose, don't always think of the obvious. Think, think about different ways it can be done. If you think about what you know now, and not with a sense of regret, but if you could go back in time, is there a, is there a thing you know now that you wish you wish you'd known then? When I was in my first job and I worked there for seven or eight years, I never contemplated running a business. I thought, you know, it was beyond me and beyond my brain. And I think um, realizing that, you know, it sounds so overwhelming when you think, you know, you've got to run a business, employ people, do contracts, you know, all this stuff. I had a friend talking to me the other day and she was like, how do you know which people to employ and all the roles? But I think I can tell that younger self, or someone who's starting out on a journey is like, don't worry, it seems overwhelming. You almost, you get there bit by bit. It's like little Lego blocks, um, you know, and all these little tiny pieces, and everyone helps you. Every single challenge, the most important thing is to tell people what you're struggling with or, you know, what, what you're at, and don't keep it to yourself because I've found the community, the business community, like everyone wants to help. And so if you don't know how to write a contract, you can ask someone and usually someone will give you one. Huh? Have mine. Like, that's the kind of stuff I do for people now is, I'll just give you my contracts, you can use them. And so I think just learning that, it's, it's, you know, if I can do it, I'm not the cleverest guy on the planet. You know, if I can do it, you know, anyone can really do it. So don't, don't be scared to, to, to start. But it, when you do start a business, you have to be willing to work hard and you have to have kind of, of resilience, I suppose, when, you know, lots of things don't go your way and you have to, you have to be able to put those behind you. And, you know, for me, a real positive mindset is something that's really important in running a business. That... Right at the beginning, you were saying you, were, you only had to pay next month's salary to the guy who wanted 30 grand. How do you balance that rate of growth and risk now? Do you, do you sit with X numbers of months fees in the bank to just, so you've got a rainy day fund and... Yeah, so that, yeah, that's really important, actually. You need to change that mindset. That mindset at the beginning works, right? When you've got, when you've got much less risk. Um, but now when you've got, you know, 40-odd families, livelihoods under your shoulders, you've got to be pretty planned out. So, you know, we've got, we've got everything, everything dialed down. You know, we've got spreadsheets that, that, would, that would make you cry <laughs> how much work's gone into them. But we've got every part of the business dialed down and dialed in. So we've, we've got all sorts of ratios working, so we know how many you know, how much cash we need in the bank and for how long and we're projecting cash flow all the time and yeah, every, everything's completely thought about. So um, I always said like when the first few years of Made Brave, you know, often people, they go off and buy the course really quickly or they, you know, they spend the money before they realize they have a corporation tax bill or something else. We stack the money and, you know, I've always been kind of like have a big war chest so that you know, so that you can sleep at night. Um, I mean, in the early days, that meant just making sure we always had 100 grand sitting in the bank, always, you know. So even if you didn't need it, like, it just meant that, you know, if you had a bad month or a bad two months that you, you know, weren't, um, weren't worried. Obviously, now at the scale we're at, you know, you slightly bit more than that just to make sure. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's, yeah, don't go and spend all your cash too quickly. It's better to have that kind of, because times do go bad, no matter how good you are or, you know, there's, there's always stuff happens. People don't pay you, you know, or pay you very, very late or, 
you know, jobs go wrong, jobs get halted, and if you've not got cash in the bank, then you're not going to hang around long. So, like, cash is like air to a human. You know, cash to a business is like air, so you, you need cash. And you said you listen to podcasts and audiobooks. So, along the way, are there two or three books that you thought they made a big impact on you that you think other people should listen to? Sapiens is it's not a business book, but there's a lot of business learning in it. Um, it's called A Brief History of Mankind. Um, never pronounced the author. Yuval Noah Harari. Sapiens is a very good book, and it's just a wee bit about you know, where humans have come from. It talks about you know, how tribes have been built, how you know, humans change, and I think it's a great book. There's loads of learning that you can relate into a business and into leadership and running great teams. Another great book that I like is called Hello, My Name is Awesome. So in, in my line of work, I see a lot of brand names for people. And that book there, Hello, My Name is Awesome, by Alexandra Watkins. It's a book takes you about two nights to read, and it just talks you through loads of different ways of how to name things. And it gets your mindset into a really great place. If you're ever having to name anything, go and read that book first. Every time I name something, I go and reread it. And then, you know, I come up with a great name the day after or the next day. So um, it's well worth a read. And this one's not a book, but it's a podcast. Guy Ross, um, How I Built This, is a great podcast. I don't know if you've come across that. Yeah. Little short 30-minute clips of just some of the best business leaders in the world and best brands in the world and just tell their story of how they how they grew their business. And um, I love it. In and out on the way to work and way back from work. It's a nice shot and speed. <laughs> and it's, uh, always, you always just leave with one little snippet from something someone said, you know. Brilliant. Andrew, thank you very much indeed for jumping on the show and chatting to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. Thank you for having me. All this information and more can be found at dominicmonkhouse.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find show notes, additional reading and links related to this episode. You can also find my blog and the past editions of the Melting Pot newsletter. The simplest thing to do is to sign up to my subjectively, not crap, once a week newsletter, where I'll update you on what I've been up to, the most interesting articles I've read, and all things relating to scaling up, high-performing teams, net promoter score, company culture, etc. Social, you can find me on Twitter at Dom Monkhouse and LinkedIn at Dominic Monkhouse. LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me and share your questions and comments. Thanks for listening.